open your Bibles, if you will. This is the last message of this series. And like I said, I'm kind of bummed about it because I've been enjoying this um, series. But open your Bibles, if you will, to Exodus chapter 34. Uh, and so you might notice that that's not the complete end of the book uh, as there's 40 chapters. Um, but we're going to stop here to kind of put a cap on it and uh, go from there. Um, to bring some background of where we're at. Uh, right there was Moses. He was a baby. He almost died. And then uh, he grew up in Pharaoh's house, uh, adopted by Pharaoh's daughter. Then he gets cast out, exiled. Then he comes back. Then he says, let my people go. And then Pharaoh says, no. And then he says, please. And then he says, no. And then God says, ten plagues. And then he says, okay. And then he says, Never mind, and then he tries to kill him, and then God says, go through the water, and then the water's part, and then <laughs> through the water, and then he says, just kidding, to the Egyptians, and the water comes down, they all die, and then, then they're in the wilderness, the Israelites, which you'd think that'd be super cool because they just got freed from slavery, the water went, and that's super cool, but then they're like, God, oh, I'm hungry, right? What? It's like when you guys are on like that trip with your parents, to somewhere nice, and you're like, but the food here stinks. You know, it's like, we're in Hawaii, what? Okay, but anyways, so it's like the same thing, and so God sends food, he provides, like he always does, and then uh, and then Moses starts going, and Moses turns into a, a mountain climber at like 100 years old, so he's just like, <laughs> right? I'm pretty sure in this book of Exodus, he goes up and down the mountain at least seven times. It might be exactly seven times, but it's a lot. <laughs> Like this, okay? And then he gets revelation from the Lord. He gets the Ten Commandments, which we talked about last week. And then the Israelites build a golden calf right after the Ten Commandments. The first two commandments are about idols and gods. And they're like, how about a golden one? <laughs> then God gets mad and says, you know what? Moses, I'm wiping these, whole, these fools off the face of the earth. It's going to be like Noah again, except you're Noah this time. Moses says, no, please. <clears throat> you made a promise. And he reminds him, remember that one-way covenant thing you did with Abraham? You said that even if we didn't hold up our end, you'd hold up yours. Um, I'm getting ahead of myself, but you know what that means? I think it means, I don't think it means that God... <clears throat> necessarily changed his mind. I think God was testing Moses to see if Moses could be actually a mediator between God and him. Because in order to be a mediator between God and the Israelites, Moses had to understand God's character. And so Moses says, wait, that's not your character. Right? So, now here we are. They have a compromise. God says, fine, I won't wipe them off the face of the earth. But when you go down there, you're going to find some that are doing some crazy stuff. <laughs> really wicked and evil. He says, take those ones out and the rest can stay. So now Moses goes back up the mountain. He get, when he comes down, he gets really mad. He breaks the tablets that had the Ten Commandments on it. God gave him a gift. He's a and he obliterated the golden calf into dust and poured it into a drink and made everybody drink it, which is weird. But <clears throat> anyways, 
But then he goes back up the mountain. He says, maybe I can talk to God about this, right? He goes back up the mountain. Anyways, this is where we're at. He goes, when he goes back up the mountain, he has a conversation with God. And I'm going to read this set of scripture here. Uh, and this is, the, this is one of the most important scriptures in the whole Bible, right? We, we, we know a lot of, like John 3.16, it's on the bottom of the cups of In-N-Out. And uh, we know, like, another one, I think, what's on the bottom of the, the fries is, like, Philippians 4.13 or something like that. Anyways, um, but we know we got, we got some scriptures up in our heads about those things. But this is one that not a lot of people talk about, but it's one of the most important ones. Why? Because it's when God explains for the first time himself. To Moses, We see God's character through his actions and through his words. But this is the first time that he says, actually, uh, this is who I am. Right. And so uh, Exodus chapter 34, uh, verse six, um, it says this. Then the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed. Right. Pause. So Moses before this said, God, show me your glory. That seems kind of bold. Like he's already been up on the mountain with with fire and smoke and all this kind of stuff. And he's seen God in that way. And he's seen God in the burning bush. And then Moses says, actually, show, show me your glory. And God says, okay, fine. I'll show you. But when, I'm, when my face is in front of you, I'll block your eyes because you'll die. And then when I pass by, you'll see my back. Tough. So this is when it happens. So he does this, right? And then these words come out. Then the Lord passed in front of him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, which in the original Hebrew would have said, Yahweh, Yahweh, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, some translations say for thousands of generations, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin, yet, everybody say yet, that's the, that's the old King James version of yeet, okay? Yet, he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. Whoa. Everybody catch that. So it starts off really good. <laughs> God is compassionate. And he's gracious, and he's slow to anger, and he's abounding in loving kindness and truth. And he keeps that loving kindness for thousands, meaning that his love is accessible to everyone. And then there's this ugly yet right in the middle. Yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. Even that seems cool. All right, sweet. The people who do me wrong. They're going to they're gonna get what they deserve, right? But then it says, visiting the iniquity of fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and the fourth generation. So we get this picture. I'll get to all of it here. But before we jump into that, so sit on that, as awkward as that might be. <laughs> don't, don't actually sit on your Bibles. Just, you know, chill. <laughs> Here's the question we all need to answer. Everybody look at me. Here we go. Here's the question we all need to answer. Who is God? Right? Who, who is 
who is God really? Or who really is God? Right? We come to youth group and we say we love God. We love Jesus. Yeah. Woo. But that doesn't really make any sense unless we know who God is. Correct? And so, Danny, if I went up to you and I said, who is this? What would you say? Oh, what'd you, what was that that you just told me? Hmm. So I read this book <laughs> called God Has a Name. Because he does. And we've talked about it. We've talked about how he told Moses his name is Yahweh. And so that might be important, right? That might be important to know who God is. And so if you're going to take notes tonight, title tonight's message, God has a name. Because here's how we're going to cap up this whole Exodus series. Because remember, God said that he was doing all of this so that they would know his what? Name. And so we can't effectively close this chapter of us learning without knowing his name and really knowing it. And so let's go back to the question, who is God? And here's the thing, not who is God to me, just who is he? Does that make sense? In, in, in today's world, a lot of times we want to say, well, who, who is Jesus to you? Who is God to you? And I get sometimes the authenticity of that question, meaning what has God done in your life? But what happens is oftentimes it's turned into us thinking that we all get a personalized version of God. We all get a collector's edition. It's my God. Yeah, your God told you not to do that, but he doesn't tell me that. Because he loves me different than he loves you. <laughs> Sounds dumb, but that's how people act. Right? People say all the time, that's not the Jesus I read about in the Bible. Okay, well, let's not say that. Let's just figure out who it actually is. Who's God? Who's Jesus? Spoiler alert. They're the same. They're different, but the same. There's this quote in this book that I read called God Has a Name that says, What comes to mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. When we think about God, whatever picture comes to mind, that's the most important thing about us. It's not actually anything about us. It's our view of God. Because listen, if we view God as like this crazy mean tyrant, that's going to affect who we are as people. If we view God as a loving, compassionate, gracious God who's also just, that'll affect how we Interact with people, right? So God has a name. He has character traits. He's been the same the whole time, right? That's what his name means is I am who I am or that I am. So 
So here's the thing we have to remember when we're, when we're going to talk about this. Is that we were made in the image of God. He was not made in the image of us. Does that make sense, everybody? And so the reason we're on this, this journey of figuring out who God is is because if we can figure out who God is, then we can figure out who we are. Does that make sense? It's not the other way around. We're not on this journey to find who we are and then hope that a, a God loves that. We're on a journey to figure out who God is so that I can better find out who I'm supposed to be. Does that make sense? It's different than what culture would tell us. Culture tells you to worship yourself so that God looks like you. But the Bible says to worship him so that you'll look like him. Okay, so there's, I think I got five things. Let me check. Yes, five things. Five character traits. It's all built into this scripture, okay? So the first thing he says is Yahweh, Yahweh. Okay, so number one, a name, Yahweh. <laughs> That's God's name. And it means I am who I am. Really, technically, the name Yahweh in Hebrew means he is who he is. It's the third person. If he was going to say it, he would say, Echyeh, Asher, Echyeh. Whew, that was impressive. Uh, just kidding. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> but that's what it means. What it means is integrity, right? It means that God was the same yesterday, today, and forever. Anybody ever heard that before, right? It, 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 he's the same. Why is that so important? Because you ever had someone that just changed up on you? Right? You're like, wait, wait a second. I thought we were, I thought we were cool. I thought... Right, you've seen, the, you seen like the, the rom-coms. It's not you, it's me. I've just, I've just changed. We grew out of love, you know. <laughs> Listen, God doesn't grow out of love with you. He's the same. It's really important that he's the same because we can count on him being exactly who he was so that when we read these stories, we understand who he is. Amen. He's saying that who he is is who he'll always be, right? He is. And the thing about it is Jesus, we all love Jesus, but sometimes we think that Jesus is this like avocado toast version of Yahweh that wears Birkenstocks and is in touch with his feminine side, right? It's like Jesus came to hug everybody that Yahweh hurt. That's not how it is. Guess what? Jesus is just Yahweh in the flesh. So everything we read about God, everything we read about Yahweh in the Old Testament, should be consistent with everything that we read about Jesus in the New Testament. Amen? <clears throat> He's the same person. So here's the thing. Why is it so important that we know God's name? Well, for, and, and, and for Moses to know God's name. Because remember, he's talking to Moses here. The most important thing is that if you remember, Egypt worshipped a bunch of gods. And if you remember, the, the Israelites just tried to worship a cow, a golden one. Give it some credit. It was gold. Kind of cool. So going back to the temp, everybody remember the ten plagues? So we talked about how those ten plagues related to creation, but here's another thing. Those ten plagues also related to the Egyptian gods. It was kind of like a God one-upping 
these folks. Let me give you an example. In Egypt, they worshiped this god called Amun-Ra. Everybody say Amun-Ra. Ooh. <clears throat> Amun-Ra. Top ramen. Okay. Amun-Ra was the sun god, and Amun-Ra was supposed to be the king of all the gods. So what does God do? He turns off the lights. He blocks out the sun. He makes it completely dark for three days. You know what that meant for the Egyptians? Uh-oh. Amun-Ra's not, not king. So Yahweh's saying, Amun-Ra's not king of the gods. I am. Right? This sun god you have, where'd he go now? Try and tell him to turn, turn the lights back on. <laughs> ain't going to work. That's pretty tough. And, it, and we see a similar picture of Yahweh saying that I'm in charge of all this. We see a similar picture on the cross. Jesus dies on the cross. The enemy thinks that he's, that he's won. Jesus goes, says, what's up to the homie Satan? Takes the keys to hell. I'm out of here. <laughs> Comes back, and we once again know that he's Lord of Lords and King of Kings. Amen? So, his name's important. Number two, <clears throat> the next thing it says is that he's compassionate and gracious. All right? This is at the top of the list. So this means that this is what Yahweh wants you to know about him the most. He's compassionate and he's gracious. This is top of the list. Compassionate, I'm going to get, can I get nerdy for a second? Just a second. Compassionate, the, the Hebrew word is raham. And the root, of that, the root of that word means a mother's womb. Compassionate, a mother's womb. So if you, could, if you could paint this mental picture, the type of love a mother has for their child in the womb and, and, and then through the birthing process is the same love that God has for us. And even more so. As we see in our world today, that love can be kind of broken, right? <clears throat> but you can ask the mothers in the room what it felt like to have their child so close. And there was a difference about it. I... Was, I was there for the whole thing, and I will never understand why any woman would want more than one kid. I'm just, I just don't get it, all right? I was there. I would have been like, we're good. Like, I actually shouldn't have done that in the first place, right? Like, like that looked painful. But here's the thing. For, there's, there's some reason that Danielle's like, I could do it again. Why is that? I think, correct me if I'm wrong, I think it's that compassion, that love, right here. Mine's just pizza, but hers <laughs> was Vince. The feeling of a mother towards her child, unspeakable love, it's pure. God sees you as his child. He loves you more than words can express. So when God is compassionate towards you, it's because you're his. Does that make sense, everybody? You guys have seen how much I love Vince. And here's the thing. You guys are part of this youth group, and I think all of you love Vince too. So if we all walk out after youth and some dude walks up and starts kicking Vince, what are we going to do? We're going to jump that fool. Because that's our, that's our boy Vince. 
So when God has to go down and lay the boom on Egypt, why? Because they were kicking his kid. Does that make sense, everybody? I'm making it really easy for us to understand. The compassion that comes from God is because we're his children, right? Nobody can hurt Vince or they're going to have to deal with me. Big old scary me, you know. I'm just You're like, please. But that's how it is. Does that make sense, everybody? And the word gracious is hanun in Hebrew. And that means to help someone in a time of need. Have you ever helped someone in a time of need? Someone needed something, you helped them out, or you've seen your parents do it, right? Maybe someone was having trouble changing a tire on the side of the road, they pulled over to help. That's the gracious moment. <laughs> so the love of a parent and graciousness, compassionate and gracious. God was compassionate and gracious towards Israel though they didn't trust him and they were at times wicked, right? But here's the thing. God's baseline emotion towards you is mercy. It's love. Vince might mess up. Vince might do something crazy at the house, like throw a fit, smack his mom or something. That's what I'm saying. And... Initially, I'm like, I'm so mad, right? Then he looks up at me. Right? And what's my, what's my, even though I sometimes I do need to still follow through with the punishment, what's my baseline reaction to him? Mercy. Oh, I'm sorry, bud. Right? Your dog ever done something bad and you're so mad and then they're just like, I don't know what I did. You're like, oh, I'm sorry that I ever got mad at you, right? So even when God has to, discipline us, it hurts because he loves us. Does that make sense, everybody? So compassionate, gracious, number three, slow to anger. Everybody say slow to anger. This doesn't mean that God's anger doesn't exist. It just means that, it's, that his compassion is close and his anger is far. Does that make sense? If you, as you've seen in this book, you can get there. <laughs> you can get to God's anger. It's there. I promise. It just takes a long time. You think they would have got there after being ungrateful for the whole like Red Sea thing. Like that was kind of cool. And they're not slaves anymore. But it took a, uh, a golden calf to really, really get there. <clears throat> we see this with Jesus. We think of Jesus as like, oh, he just loves everybody all the time and hugs them and kisses them. Oh, I love you, Jesus. Right? And then we forget the story where Jesus is flipping tables in the temple and whipping people. Saying that you've turned my father's house into a den of thieves. What? We're like, dang, that's so out of character for Jesus. No, it's not. It's just, he's slow to it. Does that make sense? And his anger is not like our anger. His anger is righteous. Jesus speaks on love, but he speaks on the coming judgment of the Lord more than any other teacher in the Bible. Here's why. Because God does not tolerate evil. He doesn't tolerate sin. Why? Because it separates his children from him. Does that make sense, everybody? Right? If Vince stands on the edge of a high balcony... And keeps looking at me like this, like he's going to jump over. 
I'm not going to tolerate that. Right? And if I grab him, it might seem aggressive. But it's not because I don't love him. It's because I do love him. Because if he goes over that edge, I might not get him back. Does that make sense? So when we sin and we're, and we're moving, every time we sin, no matter what it is, a little sin, a big sin, whatever, whenever we sin, it's like we're walking closer and closer to that balcony edge and we're tipping ourselves over and looking at God. And when someone in our lives, a pastor or a friend or maybe even God himself brings correction to us, we're like, whoa, don't touch me. Don't grab me like that. And we get mad. But it's like God was like, I, I just didn't want you to go over the edge because I might not get you back. Does that make sense? And that's the picture of hell. It's not that God sends us to hell. It's that eventually God is, is going to let us do what we wish to do. Because if we didn't have a choice in the matter, it's not really love, right? If you all found out that I've been keeping Danielle hostage at my house, right? I let her out on Wednesday nights and Sunday. And then as soon as we get to the house, she gets like this like electric shock collar put on her so she can't leave the property. But I love her so much. She's my wife. And I know that sometimes she wants to leave, but she, I'm not going to let her go out with her friends because I, because I know sometimes that's bad for her. I sound like a psychopath. So if God was like, I want all my children to love me and they're going to be in heaven with me no matter what. Even if they don't want to. Even if they hate me, they're going to be there. Sounds like a psychopath. You're like, no, it's not the same. But it is. So then he has to let some of us go. Right? And the good news that we get to share with folks is that, hey, um, if you go over that edge... Um, you, you're going to die. But if you believe in Jesus, he'll catch you before it's too late. Does that make sense, everybody? He's slow to anger. Check this out. The opposite of love, does anybody know what the opposite of love is? Wrong. The opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is indifference. The opposite of love is apathy. So I don't, I don't care. Because sometimes hate is just misguided love, unrighteous love. You love someone so much that they hurt you and now you hate them. Right? If you just don't care about somebody, you definitely don't love them. I, oh, I, don't, I don't care. So here's what I'm saying. Care about people. <laughs> just, just care. Yes, we don't want to hate. We want to love. But we also don't want to be indifferent. We want to care about people. Amen? And so when we stand up for what we believe is right, what the Bible tells us, it's not that we are, are, are and we can't do it out of hate. And it's especially not that we're hating anybody. If we do it out of love, it's just that we're not being indifferent. Does that make sense? 
Because we know the end of the story. Okay, number four. says he's abounding in love and faithfulness. In this translation, it says truth. Love and truth. Here's the cool thing. God's love is faithfulness, and his faithfulness is love. He's yours completely. Right? Like I said earlier, he abided in his covenant with Abraham, even when Israel didn't hold up its side of the covenant. Does that make sense, everybody? Like He, he, he loves you. Even when, let me say it this way, God is faithful to you even when you're unfaithful to him. Okay, that was short. Number five, love to the thousands, punishment to the third and fourth generation. This is where it gets hard, right? This is where, this is where the rubber meets the road. So everybody sit up, pay attention. This is it. I'm ending here. Getting close. Yeah, Kev, you can come just kind of, you know. This is where, this is where it meets the road. Because you might think, how, does, how is that possible? How is that a loving God if he loves thousands, but then he, he lets the sin of a father and mother go to the third and fourth generation? That doesn't seem okay, right? But here's the thing. Sin has real world consequences, Right? Can I, can I get super real today? If I was abusive towards Vince, that wouldn't just carry to him. That'd probably carry to his kids and his kids. And so it's not that God is saying that he's going to purposely punish to the third and fourth generation because he doesn't like the parents. What he's saying is if you go down this road... It'll affect your kids, your grandkids, and their kids, too. Sin has real-world consequences, but God is merciful. But he is just, right? His love is for all, for thousands. It says he forgives wickedness, rebellion, and sin. But for those who doesn't... For those who don't want it, like I just said, he's not going to force it, right? Because remember, the opposite of love is indifference or apathy and so we push to a place where God has to just turn his head and it's not that he hates you it's just that you won't allow him to love you I don't want to be in that place and so the punishment looks like right? sin has an effect on the next generation, sin ruins families. Because God is a just God, he will always punish sin until it's gone. But here's the thing. You could speed up the process of it being gone. You might be in a family where abuse has been in your family. You might be in a family where addiction has been in your family. You might be in a family where the sin should really go to the third and the fourth generation. But guess what? The Bible also says mercy triumphs over judgment. And so what does that mean? That means that this scripture where, where it says that God is loving to the thousands, his love is accessible to everybody, but then he, he punishes those to the third and fourth generation, it means that you could stop it in its tracks on the second generation if you say, God, have mercy on us. Jesus, would you be with us? Would you, would you, would you come into my heart? Would you lead me and guide me? Right when, 
when you do that, his mercy triumphs the judgment. But God is a good God, so if you don't do that, the judgment's going to play itself out because it has to. It's like if we were here on, on earth and there was, you guys ever seen The Purge? Hopefully not if you're in junior high. Good, okay. But the concept is crazy. The concept of this movie is crazy. The concept is that, is that one day a year, any crime is permissible. So they just sound the siren. You could do whatever you want. You could kill somebody. You could steal whatever you want. It just turns to mayhem for 24 hours. So people are locking up their houses and trying to get, trying to get safe and trying to do all this kind of stuff, right? Would anybody want to live in that world? No. Why? Because you want to see justice happen for those who are unjust, for those who are wicked. And then we get mad at God when he's a just God and he, and he, and he, and he punishes those who are wicked. How could God do that? Because he's good. Because he doesn't want you to have to board up your house afraid that someone's going to come and hurt your family and have no repercussions. Sin always has repercussions. So here's the second thing. We have to recognize that sin is a big deal. And not in the way that we're always feeling like down on ourselves because we sin, because we all sin every single day, but it's a big deal. And so you know what that means? Jesus is a big deal. If I recognize that my sin's a big deal, then Jesus actually becomes good news. If we just think that sin's okay and sin's not going to hurt anybody and sin's just whatever it is, then there's no need for Jesus. There's no need for me to preach this message. There's no need for you to ever come to youth group. But guess what? Sin is a big deal. It separates us from God. It throws us over the edge of that balcony. And so Jesus is a big deal. Because he died on the cross for your sins. He took, he took the leap off the balcony for you. You were supposed to be on that cross. It's dangerous. But what's our response? Man, we look at sin. Sin is dangerous. It's so overwhelming. Anybody ever been overwhelmed? How am I supposed to follow all the rules? Last week we talked about how there's like 600 laws. I can't even remember what's on my schedule tomorrow. It's like three things. How am I supposed to remember 600 and whatever laws? It's overwhelming. Raise your hand again if it's overwhelming sometimes. So you know how Moses responds to this? Remember, because God comes before him and says these things. Moses responds in this way if now I have found favor in your sight O Lord I pray let the Lord go along in our midst even though the people are so obstinate and pardon our iniquity and our sin and take us as your own possession here's what he says in the chapter before if your presence does not go with us then don't lead us from here you know what that says it says God I can't do it without you so this is the whole point of the Exodus story. Is that when they were being beaten, when they were being hurt, when they were, be, when they were slaves, they're crying out to God. God, please help. And he shows up and he helps. And then they take him for granted. God, we're hungry. We're thirsty. Your food's not good enough for us. And then Moses just goes away for 40 days and they're like, fine. Build us another God. And you know what they say to the golden calf? They say, this is the God who led us out of Egypt. 
Now we know why God was mad. But his mercy triumphs. And so then you look at God, just like you do in your own life, and you say, man, I messed up there. I was ungrateful there. I smacked you in the face there. I put another God before you and said that it did what you did. I spit in your face. I put you on a cross. I poured vinegar on your wounds. I denied you three times. You get the picture? And he still was on the cross for us. What's our response? God, if you're not going to go, I don't want to go. I don't want to go anywhere without you. I don't want to go anywhere without you. That's the story of Exodus, is that wherever Israel goes, they're going to go because God's there. That's the heart of Moses now, is that God, wherever you go, I'm going. So the rest of the band can come up. Everybody else, would you stand up as we prepare to worship? And this song that we're going to sing is not going to be like super down. and It's going to be kind of happy. The song is called New Thing. And it says, Jesus, you're not done with me. You're doing a new thing. And can we get excited for the new thing? Right? That God's moving. And here's the thing. There's a new thing next week. We got senior night. We got invite night. I would love to see all your friends come out that night. And I would love to see all of you worship with everything that you have as your friends roll up and then they ask you afterwards why why do you love God so much and then you say because when I doubted him when I was ungrateful when I questioned him when I denied him he came back and he loved me like his own child he gave me a hug he embraced me and his mercy always triumphs over his judgment so I don't want to go anywhere that he's not Amen. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for who you are. We thank you that you're not just some unknown God that we can never reach. God, you're you're a person with a name and a personality and character. And the craziest thing is that the God who created the universe that we read about in Genesis, the God who led the Israelites out of Egypt is the very God that wants to know each and every one of us, that wants to know us personally, that wants to have relationship with us. So God, in these next few moments as we worship, help us to worship with heart abandon, with no walls up, just you and us, because you're doing a new thing in our hearts. We worship you, we give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen.